Greetings, Grapple fans. It's time once again for us to go through the history of pro wrestling's greatest matches. If you're to speak to one Dave Meltzer, yes, it's Let Me Tell You Something, and we're going through every match that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher. We'll get into that debate when we need to, but in the meantime, the match that we're discussing will be a match between Kijimuto and Shiro Koshinaka, challenging for the IWGP Tag Team Championship belts against Akira Maeda and Nobuhiko Takada, on the 2nd of March, 1987. But I can't do this alone. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Simon Cross. Now, Simon, the only returning figure that we've had before now is Takada, who we covered in the second ever episode, which was the UWF match between uh, Takada against Kazuo Yamazaki. Um, And you did not care for that match. I did not. I really, really did not. Um, Did you care for this match? I care for this match a lot more. Um, for those who like to hear um, us slag things off, which I'm sure you did when we covered the World of Sport uh, Season 1, you can go back and listen to that episode, as for my reasons why I did not like this match. But I'm going to try and focus on the positives, which is this match. I really enjoyed this match, um, comparatively. This would be New Japan's equivalent to the Ricky Choshu, Yoshikiyatsu against Jumbo Suruta, Genshiro Tenru match that we covered a couple of weeks ago yeah very similar things foreign invaders both sides yes. although interestingly both maida and takada were this is interesting actually because if you look at it it's, it's, it's a weird interpromotional match because takada and maida were both trained new japan wrestlers that then went off and formed uwf and then came back pretty swiftly afterwards uh muto is a very young wrestler at this point this is the third year he debuted in 1984 so this is actually before his infamous excursion to America, where he really became one of the big names in wrestling, one of the hottest prospects in wrestling. The great Musa. Whereas Shiro Koshinaka is actually a recent transfer. He had been All Japan trained and had wrestled in All Japan for a fair few years and was essentially a contemporary of Misawa, Mitsuhara Misawa. I think he was a couple of years ahead of him. And basically beat Misawa time after time when they would wrestle each other. But whilst um, Koshinaka was on an excursion to Mexico, he was frustrated at the level of success that Misawa was having now under the Tiger Mask gimmick that he felt he should have had, which led to him Ah. leaving all Japan and joining New Japan. But he was very quickly taken in as sort of a one-of-our-own wrestler. And he he is on the quote-unquote home side of this map. Um, and New sort of Japan like is... when Sol Campbell went to Arsenal. Oh yes, so and New Japan is where he will stay for the next twelve or twelve, thirteen, fourteen years. Um, although he would take on like a top heel role very soon into it. But it's interesting to think, you know, if if things had changed, would Koshinaka have been either the one that all Japan go for, or would he be like? Masawa's key rival throughout the 90s and will we therefore have not had some of the matches that we have to look forward to involving Masawa and Kawada or would Koshinaka have taken the role of Akira Tawe in those four pillars who knows Koshinaka does not have a huge amount of fans people see him as not of the elite level of worker as far as Japanese wrestlers go of that era 
But what is really interesting, I think the key thing that I'm going to go to with this match, is this is literally, not only is this the only match we're going to see on this show of Kijimuto. Which is that in itself is, is mental. It's also the only match involving any of New Japan's Three Musketeers. There are no matches on this list that involve Shinya Hashimoto. And there are no matches on this list that involve Masahiro Chono. Really? And this is the only match that involves Kijimuto. And I could tell you immediately of at least five matches that Kijimuto had that are better than this. <laughs> in your opinion. But of well, course, not think, in the great I Dave Meltzer's opinion. I think in Meltzer's opinion as well. I think this is one of those ones that he would, in retrospect, think that he overrated slightly. And I think there are other matches that Muto had... And especially with Chono and Hashimoto, that maybe he's slightly underrated. For example, I'll give you the key one, key text, um, the first G1 Climax final between Kijimuto and Masahiro Chono. I think in retrospect, Dave Meltzer might give that five stars because of how historically significant it became. Like, okay. to New Japan, that's as historically significant as Misawa's victory over Jumbo Saruta, which we'll cover in a, uh, an episode coming up uh, fairly soon. But this is, okay, what... is, that, is that you playing your hand a little bit early in terms of how you feel about this match? Whether I don't think this is a five-star match, so that's that's usually the last thing that we cover. I think this is a very good match. I wouldn't rate it as well. I wouldn't rate it as high as the Choshu, um, Yatsu, Saruta, Tenru match, for example, because I don't feel that level of intensity as much to this match. It's, it's a lot more controlled. I don't think there's any fighting outside the ring, as far as I can recall. And no, I... It starts and ends with a handshake. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. It's, um, it is high intensity, but it's not chaotic high intensity. It's like lawful good over chaotic good. Yeah. If... Um, what I really like is like the detail, like the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys from the UWF look like shoot fight, like, like fighters. Well, they have UWF on their boots still. They have UWF. They're dressed in plain black. They, they've, there's no airs and graces about them. Whereas you've got some beautiful white trousers <laughs> and a, a lovely set of green, um, a lovely got, um, it's not green, blue. What am I on about? It's yeah. a blue jacket that he's got. And um, taking and a, a print. A couple of beards as well against the yeah. clean shaven, sensible. I have to wonder, um, did Prince Nassim Hamed um, <laughs> take a page out of uh, Kiji Muto's book? Muto was crazy agile for a man his size. He's about he's over six foot, I believe, and he's doing you know his trademark move was a moonsault, and the moonsault that he does in this match, I believe, he does do That's incredible, gorgeous. It gets so much height and it's so fast. Like he never looks like that. You he's, know when people sorry, go on. We're just both in awe of it. Yeah. Um, well, when he's, he's one of my favorite wrestlers ever. When people throw like do their moonsaults, sometimes it like it looks. To rush like they've like they have to do it quickly, otherwise they'll do it wrong. You Le- know Lita's moonsault was always a very scary proposition if you did it yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um whereas his he is always in control. It well, can go gym- Yeah, he's got that gymnastics body control. Yeah. Um Charlotte somewhat has that now. Mm. Somewhat. Not nowhere near this like level of execution. But it's always interesting. Like if you look at, um, for example, we'll we'll move, we'll go back to the match. But like Billy Kidman's shooting star press, and then you compare it to someone like uh, Paul London's shooting star press, or anything that Ricochet can do. 
And there's more clear body control. There's more accuracy of where they're going to land. Well, Ricochet is just a genetic freak. Mm. I, I don't know how as, he does what he does. As arguably as Kijimuto. Because yeah. he's, he's noticeably lighter here. One of the things that they do when they go on their excursions is they usually bulk up. Like, Muto is, like, maybe even junior heavyweight weight at this point. And, and, and at this point, Koshinaka and Takada are wrestling over the junior heavyweight title as well. This was when the junior heavyweight title was, like, more of an apprenticeship to your step up to the heavyweight division. And, I mean, Takada very much looks like an apprentice to Akira Maeda in this match. I'm not saying he's his yeah. mini-me, but <laughs> there's, like... It's almost like his future self uh, uh, tagging up with his past self. Maeda as well. Can I? Can, if now we've like moved on to Maeda. Uh, he is a big dude. Yeah, he's you look at him. bigger and and older. You yeah. You look at him and like you think we're in trouble here, mm. and that's sort of what they convey in the match. Yeah. Is like these two yeah. dudes in plain black trunks from the UWF are here to absolutely murk us. Maeda is clearly a step above all the other four, are the all the other three in the match. Jesus, um, he has that seniority, and it is you know he's not the one that takes the losing fall. That was never going to be the case. No, no. Uh, um, it's 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 basically the shoot fights against the wrestlers, but it's not that it's. It definitely doesn't have a feel of a UWF fight, though, at any point, I would say. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it because feels this more is... wrestling. It feels more wrestling than shoots. This is what a blend of shoot, rest, shooting, shoot fighting and wrestling should be, in my estimation. This is when it's done right, because they're coming in, the strikes they throw have conviction behind them, the crowd know like how like important it is for those kicks to land, like how much of a game changer that would be. But the crowd aren't, it's not pretending to be just a plain shoot fight. It is still a wrestling match. It's not gone beyond yeah. its remit. And Maida and Takata can do wrestling. Maida has a really interesting power slam at one point. The The circulations are almost like the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, he sort of, um, he picks the guy up and then sort of goes the other way. I know what yeah. you mean. He just feels because usually you go, you lead with the head, don't yeah, you? And they lead, with but the he feet. sort of spins the other way around. I think yeah. that's just to show off his power. Maybe, maybe. There's a clear like. It's obvious that the victory that Muto and Koshinaka have in this is an upset. You can tell oh, yeah. in the context of the match. And I'll be honest, I had to rewind it. Yeah. I thought it was open at first. <laughs> yeah. And Maeda and Takada are the bullying heels at points with the strikes in particular. The strikes are harsh and heavy, and mean, and they hurt. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, oh God, there's one point where Tanaka just absolutely fires off, like, a series of kicks. Mm. And I just feel, like, so sorry for it's, um, who is it? That's, it's it's Koshinaka that's in at the time, and I actually, I actually feel like he's in danger. Another spot I really liked was uh, Maeda... Uh, Koshinaka has his famous hip attack, essentially like a Naomi's rear view now. Yeah, um, or Asuka's attack. Yeah, yeah, Asuka as well. Um, but Maeda catches him and turns it into a German suplex. I thought that was a really cool spot. Another spot, like early on into the match, is when Koshinaka and and Takada are feeling each other out um, in in the in the early stages. When um, Koshinaka gets into the ropes, Takada kicks him. And Koshinaka's like, Oi, dickhead! I was in the ropes! 
Yeah. Um, getting, just getting across the heels, who are the heels and who are the faces. Because like I said, they they congratulate them post-match. They raise their hands in victory. Yeah. It, it's um, it's one of those things. They don't hate each other, hate each other. They just, they're just they soldiers on different sides, mm. it seems. Um, there's one moment really early on where they just, in a, in a snapshot moment, if you didn't know that these guys were from the UWF and they were more shoot fighters, uh, they really convey that really early doors. Uh, and I sort of conveyed this in one of our previous episodes that you've got to at all times presume that no one knows what you're saying or what the previous story is. And in the snapshot of a match, you've always got to make it clear early doors, what the psychology is. So people who are just tuning in can go, right. Okay. I get the narrative here. Let's see how this pans out. Uh, Takada goes for an armbar and Koshinaka scrambles (laughs) like a kid trying to get away from bath time to the ropes. And at that moment, you're like, okay, these dudes know these sort of like holds. Yeah. I always like that. when If there's a key s- submission hold, there should be an attempt early in the match to do it that doesn't quite work out. And yeah. Just something as simple as that makes you know you, you're registered that. Okay, they don't want to be in that hold. So if they're ever put in that hold, it's trouble. Yeah. And that's something you further emphasize with other elements. But the key bit is the in-ring action. So... Obviously, I don't know. I don't know Japanese, mm. but ideally, what the commentators were saying at that point was, "Oh, that's key," because mm. if he gets that in, that could have been it. That right there. What's interesting, also, I think, is that we've talked a lot about how there are periods of dominance in in tag team matches in Japan, but when the the guy that's getting beat up tags someone in, it's not so much a sense of it being a hot tag in the in the traditional sort of Western version of it. The Ricky Morton tagging into Robert Gibson and Gibson doing the like fiery I've been waiting a long time for this um, it's more like relief in but next... in, this is the one time that I thought the tag was quite a hot tag yeah when Muto finally gets in after Koshinaka's been taking a shit kicking for a while he has the energy and he's and that's when he does the backbreaker into the moonsault spot and he has got that high energy that obviously the young Japanese the young New Japan wrestlers are supposed to have that they may lack experience and strength at this point like I say Muto is noticeably smaller than he would be in later years but they have so much energy and so much fire in them um but I don't have many more notes except for the finish which I thought was an interesting thing do you have any other notes within the, the context of the match um I got to see one of my favorite moves for the first time the spinning leg lariat um oh, okay. yeah. I love a spinning leg lariat was Maeda, wasn't it? yeah Maeda's and he because he's big but he's got the agility yeah, he's just an all-round athlete. Like, I'd be intrigued to see if Maeda at that age was around now, mm. what could he do, I think considering... He, yeah, well, I think that, like, the inheritor of his legacy is uh, Katsuyori Shibata, who, unfortunately, who we will cover a lot in, in later on, but obviously is no longer allowed to physically compete in wrestling. No, anymore. no, that did not end well. No. Um, what I like in this is that there's like tag team wrestling, but not too much tag team wrestling. There's not like, it's not chaotic in a sense where no one's getting involved all the time. It doesn't become a wild brawl because that wouldn't work for this Mm. because of the sort of respect they have for each other. Whereas um, previous matches, we've had the Funks versus um, Brody and Hanson. That made sense as a wild brawl because those were just like burly dudes wailing on each other. Whereas these are athletes mm. going at 
no, they're just competing each other because that's who's the number one contender is. Mm. Like, there's, there's no real deep burning hatred, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my note on the finish I thought was interesting. I was trying to figure it out at first because what it is is that um, Takada goes for a scorpion deathlock on Koshinaka and Koshinaka turns that into a cradle. Now, usually what's happening is that the one whose teammate is in the pin is holding back the other guy. But it looks like, at that point, it's Muto that's being held back by Maeda. And of Which course makes... I'm wondering why that was, but I think that was because it is such a surprise that Maeda thought that it was the submission hold, like he hadn't noticed the cradle or something. Yeah. So he thought or thought... was in control of things. Or maybe like I did, that both shoulders were down and... Takada could sort of like get his shoulder up. Mm, mm. So it's a weird like because again, I really did think like, I had to look back, mm. and it's not because you sort of see that he's put his hands just enough. Well, Koshinaka himself is shocked that he won. He like asked the ref, "Was that three? Was like, that works? <laughs> what the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> there was that um, USA defender who scored like an absolute worldie in the, um, the World Cup in Brazil. It was one of the knockout games. I can't remember who the opponent was. And he hit it just on the hope. It was just after like the breakdown following a corner. And it goes in. And he has just no idea what to do. Because he, I can't believe that actually works. <laughs> and it's pretty similar here. Mm. It's it's a good match. It's a very good match. But I don't think it's a five-star classic, personally. No, I wouldn't say five-star. Uh, it's very enjoyable. Mm. Like um, I'd happily watch this again. But yeah... And- if I was telling people wrestling was good in the 80s, like mm. I did with our first Josie match, mm. I'd be using this as like one of my examples. So do you think this would be like, we've covered 12 now, do you think this would be in your top half of the 12 matches we've covered? I'd say so, yeah. I don't think it'd be my top half. Um, just a quick perusal. I put I put at least two flair, I put at least, oh no, sorry, this is the 11th match, sorry. Um, yeah. I put flair Wyndham one ahead of it, I put the Joshi ma- the first Joshi match ahead of it. I put Saruta Tenru against Choshu Yatsu again ahead of it. I put Tiger Mask Dynamite Kid ahead of it. Uh, so you know, yeah, I'd possibly have Tiger Mask Dynamite Kid slightly lower than this one. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, but again, I'm thinking like historical context as well. I think when I when I look into these things, because I do think like that's one of the things that I would factor in my my assessments now. Does the match mean that much? in the modern context. Mm. And it it doesn't feel like it does. I, it was a big deal at the time, like Muto winning his first, that was the, Muto's first title, um, the IWGP Tag Team Championships, and, and, and one of his first big wins before he went off on his... A seminal moment in his career. ...excursions, and then became the great Muto. And, you know... I mean, and it's fascinating to look at where it follows up, because from here... UWF splits off again about a year or so later. Takada leaves, so Koshinaka moves up to the heavyweight division, turns heel and is like a perennial heel. Never never holds the IWGP heavyweight championship, but it's interesting to look. Because then Maeda, um, from there they form the UWFI, and Takada is the top star of that promotion, and he is the champ, and he's the top dog. He inherits Maeda's mantle as the shoot fighter. He is to the UWFI what Maeda was to the UWF. And then, when it all falls apart for them, and they go back to the New Japan for the big interpromotional rivalry that would then lead to the inspiration for the NWO, which would then lead to the Monday Night Wars taking off, and all sorts of things. You, know, so, you, know, you look at all these things, like what is a follow-up after the other... 
Muto and Takada have two matches, IWGB Heavyweight Championship matches at the Tokyo Dome that sell out. They sell out the Dome twice for those two matches. And then when Takada wins the title from Muto, the one time that he defends the IWGP title at a UWFI show is against Shiro Koshinaka. Ah, okay, so it does all come round. One of the things I was just going to row you back on slightly, Um, when um, Tanaka leaves... Takada. Takada, sorry. Tanaka, Takada. Takada leaves. So when Takada leaves and um, Koshinaka has to take his... sort of effectively take his place as a heel. Uh, Do you reckon that's that's like... Entirely. That's that's a different thing. It's a different thing. Do you reckon that's like a um, sliding doors moment, though? Like, had well, this yeah. heel well, slot like been said, filled, like... would he have it kicked on as a face and maybe his career taken a bet like that? No, I think... Because he think... said he's not one of the three musketeers. He's just one of... Yeah, I think that... And he wasn't homegrown, so that was probably always going to be a, a factor in it. Whilst he was yeah. used as a home player, his his faction is like the, the equivalent of, like, the not the Bullet Club, but it's the heel faction of 90s New Japan until Chono turns heel in 94. And then he sort of takes over as the top heel of the promotion. And Koshinaka, Koshinaka, like, will occasionally challenge for the title. And in a G1 climax, he'll get a win. But he's yeah. like a he's like a heel Hiroki Goto or something like that. If there have been secondary titles outside of the IWGP Junior title, um, like the Intercontinental he, title, yeah, he would have been like a never champion, I suppose. He'd be a frequent never title holder. I suppose maybe he he's in a position quite similar to Minoru Suzuki has now. In mm. Japan, um, but it was always going to be the Three Musketeers that they built the promotion around in the nineties because they were because right. Koshinaka was there, you know. Yeah, and I think Koshinaka hadn't turned heel at that point yet necessarily. He might have done, um, but yeah, it seems crazy to me because we're going to watch so many matches with Kawada, Misawa, Kabashi, and and Tawei, and we're going to see no matches between Muto. Hashimoto and Chono. Now, I'm not going to dispute that maybe the, the matches that All Japan were having were better, or at least they appealed to Dave Meltzer's sensibilities more. Mm. But it does seem crazy that in hindsight, this is all we're going to get from them. I but think we have to. Not going to be any. Like, I would say to anyone, seek out any Kijimuto. Well, the thing with Muto was he always blew hot and cold. He could be very lazy in the ring when he wasn't interested. Um, but, like, any Kijimuto from, like, I, I got. A, when, I remember when I was at university. I got a tape, a compilation tape, two tape, um, two VHS cassettes of Kijimuto's 2001, which was just this incredible year. He'd had a really shitty... Well, he had an amazing 1999. Then he had a really shitty 2000 where he ended up going to WCW and like feuding with Ernest Miller and losing to him in like two minutes on pay-per-view and like being teamed up with Vampiro because of Vince Russo. Um, and then he just suddenly reinvented himself entirely, shaved his head because, boy, did he need to shave his head. Um, grew the goatee, sort of became the Yoda of Japanese wrestling. And, um, and Or a Mr. Miyagi, him. just that dude. I would just say, a wise old dude. Just seek out any Kijimuto from 2001. It's just an incredible run. In that time, that's when the New Japan and All Japan come together for a few because... Or you know the the exodus of talent into Noah, and so during that time, Kijimuto reached the final of the G One climax. This has one of my favorite ever matches against Yuji Nagata, that really cements Nagata as a a star at that point. He wins the All Japan Triple Crown, has some great matches with Tenru and uh, Kawada, 
And then he wins with he forms an interpromotional faction with Don Fry, um, Jinsei Shinzaki, uh, aka Hakushi, and Taiyo Kia. And with Kia, he wins the All Japan Tag Team Titles, which is a double belt, so that's five belts. And then he wins the IWGP Tag Team Belt. So at the end of the run, by the end of two thousand one, he's literally wearing six belts. <laughs> And Just it's such an swarming awesome, gold. Well, it basically engulfs his whole torso. It's such an awesome visual. So I would say... As a, it looks like a very like flashy armadillo. Yeah. If I was to say seek out any year... And also in 2001 is where Kijimuto debuts The Shining Wizard. One of the most popular moves in wrestling. It's actually one of my favourite finishes. Basically every indie wrestler for the next couple of years does that move all the time. Yeah. But it becomes I... a running gag. I first got, um, I first saw The Shining Wizard um, when it was Hurricane slash Gregory Helms doing it. Um, but I, I absolutely adore The Shining Wizard. I do. It's, it is possibly. It's so simple, but effective. Yeah, top five wrestling moves mm. of mine. And I'll give you this now. To give you an idea of how big a fan I was of Muto around this time, I had a MySpace page and it was a record, like a musician page. I did a couple of recordings, one original song and a couple of covers. Nothing came of it. And you know what that MySpace was called? Go on. MySpace.com, The Shining Wizard. That was going to be my, <laughs> that was going to be my band slash art. Oh. Know. See that? That, that was going to be my David Bowie. That was going to be my name. <laughs> Um, for some of our younger listeners, go uh, go to Wikipedia now and uh, search what MySpace actually was. Mm. Yeah, you bastards. <laughs> I had one. I had one. So. Oh, so you're just on that cusp. Okay. <clears throat> just on that cusp, but yeah. But anyway, if people want to check just out my to... MySpace... Oh, 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 Because there was one question I wanted to... Um, one point I wanted to make. Because obviously at the start of this, and throughout this, you have you have been astounded at the fact we're not going to talk about Kate. Keiji Muto anymore. Or Hashimoto or Chono. Or Hashimoto or Chono in this series. And I think that's one thing, um, obviously, we've got to remember whilst we're doing this. Obviously, we're speaking about a selection of matches that have been deemed to be five-star by one man. Um, But when we spoke about the the last Takada match, we've got to remember wrestling is very subjective. Um, And just because Dave Meltzer decides something's five star doesn't necessarily mean yeah that's like the common f- feed yeah. at the time we're uh, not saying yeah go on sorry no no yeah it's just like this just because he says it's yeah. five star doesn't mean the vast majority of people is if there's like a grand aggregation yeah um i think that's why men like top 10 lists because it just sparks debate forever yeah we're not saying these are the greatest matches of all time that we're going to cover we're just saying this is one guy whose opinion we respect um, we've done an episode, and the wrestling world mostly respects uh, some of them. <laughs> um, and it's an interesting way, as much as assessing what does Meltzer like, as much as, which I think is something we'll have to like sit down and consider maybe every few episodes or something like every block of episodes or something like that we might do. Um, but uh, actually, why don't we make that uh, our uh, one of our f- future episodes coming up? Um, because we do have a bit of a gap we're worried about at the moment. At time of recording, we haven't been able to get our hands on the 14th match in this list, which is a six-man tag as well. 
involving Genichiro Tenru, Toshiaki Kawada, and Samson Fuyuki taking on Jumbo Saruta, Masanobu Fushi, and Yoshiaki Yatsu on the 28th of January 1989. So if you have a copy of any of that match available to you, I believe there was a, like a drive of like 2,000 All Japan matches in uh, uh, 2016 that was put up online, but unfortunately is not on the link I found when I was trying to find it. So essentially, that's like that's your time limit we're giving you, ladies and gents. We might have mentioned it already on our on our social media. Um, we, if you know how to get hands on the Genichiro Tenru, Samsung Fuyuki, and Toshiaki Kawada against Saruta, Fushi, and Yatsu match on twenty eighth of January, please let us know and please see if you can get us a copy of that because we can't find it at the moment. And if we don't get to that, that'll be episode fourteen. Maybe we'll make that a little bit of a reflection. What have we learned? so far episode or something like that maybe yeah yeah but until then we're going to go on to the 12th match on this list and we're going back to america and we're going back to a match that we've covered twice before already as rick flair and barry windham face off yet again for the nwa world heavyweight title at the 1987 crockett cup and it's the 11th of april 1987 just a few short weeks after hulk hogan beat andre the giant at wrestlemania 3 and Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage had a match that Dave Meltzer didn't think was five stars. But a lot of people do. A lot of people do. So, yet again, maybe that'll be a follow-up series, like the non-five-star, five-star matches or something like that, maybe. (laughs) Um, But until then, if you want to get in touch with us, I don't know if my MySpace is still available, but by all means, look it up. You can hear me do my song, Hoping That You Are, and a cover of uh, Black Star by Radiohead, I think, and Switching Off by Elbow. So, yeah, if you want to hear those. A bloke, a white dude with an acoustic guitar. It was a very unique premise at the time. Um, Not Coolio's Gangster's Paradise, then. No, it wasn't. Or Stevie Wonder's uh, Paradise, either. You know, that, that was that was disallowed from being a Best Song nominee at the Oscars because it was a it was a refit of a... It sampled and was sort of a variant cover of a Stevie Wonder song. Bullshit. Bullshit, I tell you. But until then, that was the MySpace... Also, Facebook, Twitter, all the other ones. I don't really use much more than I do my MySpace at times. But it's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Akira, N for Nobuhiku. And to get hold of myself, uh, you can contact me on uh, Twitter, where I'm known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, So known because... um, well, yeah, it's just so known. <laughs> Dream's over. Dream's dead. <laughs> You're going to have to make a long list of those in ahead of time next time, Simon. We have a show email address of lmtyspod at gmail.com. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Guarantee that you'll be there when I wake up.